Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Um, I don't know if anyone noticed, but this is coming out a little later in the day than usual. I had it loaded up and ready to go, but decided to make some revisions and then just didn't get to re-recording and editing and everything until now. One of the reasons I couldn't get to it is that I was traveling and I didn't have a good place to record. And the other is that this morning I ran my eighth half marathon. I started running in 2012. Wasn't much at first, a couple of 5Ks, 8Ks, and the hot chocolate 15K. I started doing half marathons in 2016. I'd do two in a good year, one if I had another big event or an injury, and then there was a substantial pause at the beginning of the pandemic. The first one I did was mostly walking. I actually wasn't even planning to do any running at all. I just wanted to finish, but I ended up doing some. And over the years, my times have gone up and down. The last one I did before the pandemic was my best, even though it was pouring rain and I stopped to chat with an old friend from high school that I happened to run into. And then the most recent one that I did was about 18 months ago. I did it virtually on a very hilly course after training that did not go well, and it ended up being 28 minutes slower than the one before, which was my best. Today wasn't quite that bad, ended up being about mid-range between my slowest and fastest times. My body just isn't really engineered for running, so at best I do a combination of running and walking, and what's running to me would be a slow jog for most people. But when I'm out there, I am giving it my all. My heart rate is way higher than the target heart rate for my age and sex. There's no way I can talk. Like I said, my body is just not engineered for this, so I'm just doing the best I can with what I've been given. In general, I'm usually in the last or second to last corral for pretty much every race. If you're not a runner, the way it works is that when you sign up for a race, they ask you for a predicted finish time, and then they use that to determine what corral to put you in. And it makes sense. You don't want the slow people in front of the fast people because they would just get in the way. But it ends up sort of emphasizing the difference in pace between the elite runners and the slow pokes like me. Since I live near Chicago, our races have tens of thousands of people in them sometimes. So the last corral might start 20 or 30 minutes after the first corral. Factor in how much longer it takes us to finish and we can be crossing the finish line sometimes hours after the fast folks. This has been a source of embarrassment for me from the get-go. I'm often reminded of the time an acquaintance said they didn't understand why people like you keep trying, <laughs> but I do. I cross the finish line. I complete half marathons. I was curious about what percentage of the population completes half marathons. It's not really a discrete statistic you can find, but it's estimated that about 2 million people finish half marathons in the U.S. every year. The population of the U.S. is 331.9 million. If you were assuming that each of those 2 million finishers is a distinct individual, which may not be the case as there are many people who might do more than one in a year, that would mean that about 0.6% of the U.S. population finishes a half marathon each year. Changes the perspective, doesn't it? Now, even if you're a little more precise and you look at it out of U.S. adults, since most distance runners are adults, there are 257 million adults, which means 0.7% of U.S. adults finish a half marathon each year. 
the last person to cross a half marathon finish line is doing something that 99.3% of the adult population doesn't do. That's pretty cool, right? To use an example that might feel more familiar to everyone, during my med school orientation on the very first day, they had us all in the big lecture hall and they went through a bunch of stats and interesting facts about our class. Our ages, where we went to undergrad, what careers people had had between college and med school, interesting achievements, like one person had been an Olympic athlete. They went through the total of how many people had applied, how many interviewed, how many were in the class. Our class started with about 130. I was trying to remember the number that had applied. In my head, I think of it as a very high number, and I was thinking something along the lines of 10,000, but that seemed like that must be way too high. So as I was writing this, I asked my husband because he always remembers things like that. And he was in my med school class. He did remember, and the number was right around 13,000. He's pretty confident about that memory because he remembers thinking it was almost exactly 100 to 1. So again, that's pretty cool. Now, if you're like me and your brain likes to immediately try and poke holes in any impressive statements like that, you may be thinking, yeah, but there were more than 130 who were offered spots. Some of them declined and went to other schools, etc. And for sure, all of that is definitely true, but it's not the point. The point is that if you went to medical school, you achieve something that very few people achieve. To put it a different way, I looked up how many doctors there are in the United States. According to the most recent AAMC data, there are about 940,000 doctors in the U.S. and about 620,000 of them are active. So that means 0.4% of U.S. adults are doctors. Crazy, right? I mean, to us, it seems like everyone is a doctor. We're surrounded by doctors all day and for some of us all night. Many of us live in communities where there are plenty of other doctors. Our kids' parents at school are doctors. And for those of us in academics, we train new cohorts of them every year, so it seems like there's an endless supply of new doctors coming along, and it seems like it's a much smaller percentage that are retiring or leaving medicine. And since we spent most of our young adulthood in training, many of our friends are doctors too, because that's who we were surrounded by when we were coming into our own and putting down roots. I honestly had never thought about how many doctors there might be in the U.S. before, but knowing that it's only 0.4% of U.S. adults, that number kind of took me by surprise. Keep in mind, I've been in my current work environment since I was 23 years old. Like I said, I came here for medical school and never left. And I'm 51 now, so it makes sense that I'd had a vaguely skewed view of things, considering this is what I'm exposing myself to most days for more than half my life. The reason I'm describing these examples today is that there are times when we feel like we're not good at anything. Maybe not everyone has these days, but I know a lot of people do because I talk to a lot of you when you're having those days. There are days when reminding yourself you are enough just as you are just doesn't seem to cut it. There are days when our brains like to show us those odious comparisons. You're not as good as so-and-so at this procedure. You don't have as many papers published. You're at a lower academic rank. You're not an officer or committee chair of a major medical society. Blah, blah, blah. You're in the last corral for the half marathon. 
Whatever it is for you, most people have days when they can't see the worth in what they're doing. I just gave some examples of how just by changing your perspective a little, you can completely reframe something that doesn't seem like much of an accomplishment in the moment. I did that for illustration, but now I want you to drop that idea because here's a better and truer one. My advice to you when you're having those days is that despite the stats I just showed you proving that you have indeed achieved something exceptional, it's not the achievement that matters at all. It's the effort. For those who are parents, if your kid works really, really hard at a class and does all the homework and all the extra credit and asks for help when they need it and studies really hard for exams, you're really proud of them no matter what the grade is, right? Because you know they did the best they could. An even bigger reason why it's the effort we want to focus on and be proud of rather than the outcome is that focusing on outcomes alone ignores the role that privilege plays. On the topic of becoming a doctor, I mentioned that for more than half my life, I've been in an environment where I'm surrounded by doctors all day and often all night. Many folks who are doctors now have seen that their whole lives. And we know that if you grow up in a community where many people have achieved a certain thing, it makes it much more likely that children growing up there can achieve the same thing themselves. It's about money and resources and role models and mentors and sponsors and access and all of those things. I personally happened to grow up without knowing any adults in a social or community context who were doctors and it didn't occur to me as a career goal until midway through college, but I know that I still had plenty of other types of privilege that in retrospect probably helped me get to medical school. So for that reason, the part I wanna be proud of is the hard work and years of effort that I put into getting to and through medical school rather than just the degree itself. Obviously, the topic of creating equity in medical education is a huge one, way too big to tackle here. But regardless of how much or little privilege each of us had in getting to the starting line, we all undoubtedly put in tons and tons of work and effort to get to the finish. And that effort is something to be proud of and to think about when we're feeling meh. I was going to say in terms of running that I've got almost no privilege since I was not graced with any physical gifts for it. But I realized I do still have privilege. I'm fortunate enough to have access to safe places to train and clean air. And even though I have a demanding work schedule, I don't have to figure out things like childcare to be able to get in workout time. And I can afford the registration fees for races and I have transportation, things like that. But in terms of the actual running part, my maximum efforts qualify me for the last corral. And I can work on being proud of that. We are not all the best at everything. That would be impossible. It is not your job to be the best at everything. That would also be impossible. Your job is to be the best you. That's it. Being the best you can look like putting in your best effort, looking at the outcome, and deciding to keep working at it to try and achieve a different outcome. So that would mean learning and trying a new approach and being willing to try and fail and try again. Being the best you can also look like assessing your level of effort and realizing it maybe wasn't your best, which means trying again with the same approach, 
but only if you also have a plan to figure out why the effort wasn't the best and what you can do to change that. Being the best you can also look like deciding that the amount of effort you put in was all you care to exert for this one particular thing, and therefore deciding to be good with the outcome you do achieve. By consciously choosing that you don't want to divert any more energy or effort to this, that means you're choosing the current outcome, so you might as well decide to be good with it. And being the best you can even mean deciding to be done with something altogether. You might assess your effort and outcome and decide that the best you would send all that energy to something else instead. Someone else might think of that as quitting. They can think that all they want. They're allowed to be wrong about you. You're not running their race. You're running your own. Thanks for joining me again today. I will see you back next time. Opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.